Hi, I'm Al Morton, and I wanted to welcome you to episode 12 of my Takeout series. I should also warn listeners of a delicate disposition that it does include an excerpt of Greta Thunberg singing. This month's focus is on the environment. And to my friends outside of the UK and Spain, stay with me as the British royal family share their insights on how to counter global warming. Will the new royal yacht and train be powered by good old-fashioned British coal? And as ever, none of this would be possible without this guy. Let me introduce Britain's most misunderstood and it's not easy to be green, Prime Minister. The name is Bond. Boris Bond. Licensed to kill. further, I'd just like to remind listeners that a full transcript is available from almorton.com forward slash takeout. In the last episode, number 11, What Time is the Midnight Buffet? I did have a rant about Brexit, and I realised afterwards that I talked so much that I'd left out a section about the cultural differences between Britain and Spain. So, not wanting to let you down, here goes. I do think that a major cultural difference is that Spanish MPs or Brussels MEPs would never vote to allow raw sewage to be pumped into the waterways and public bathing areas. Yesterday, I saw video footage of effluent floating down the River Avon close to where I used to live in Bristol. It was in an area of natural beauty where a rowing club and pleasure boats operate. I remember having tea and scones next to the water's edge on several occasions. I don't know if the Riverbank Tea Shop is still operating, but I'm at a complete loss as to who is going to want to sit next to a river full of and spread clotted cream on their scones. Scones. Is it scones? It's good. I don't know. Yummy. So my first question is, why is this happening? The beach at Minehead was in a similar state as MPs rejected an amendment to prevent the privatised water companies tipping raw sewage into watercourses. I suppose it gives new meaning to the phrase, going through the motions. It would seem that a shortage of chemicals needed to treat the waste has precipitated this action. And at the risk of saying that dreaded B word... Another unwanted Brexit benefit. Although personally, I suspect it has more to do with greed than Brexit. Why would you buy expensive chemicals to treat sewage when you can blame the mean-spirited EU then legally chuck the lot in a stream? More money for shareholders and more sh- for the rest of us. So I don't know why it is, but it just seems to me that the Tory party and the Daily Express and Daily Mail in particular are always at war with the EU. I mean, whatever goes wrong in the UK, it couldn't possibly be down to Brexit or mismanagement of the economy. It's always someone else's fault. And (laughs) if you need any example of this, just take a look at the headlines today. You would think, if reading the Daily Express, that (laughs) and you've got to forgive me for Uh, mentioning the Express because it is such a minor misinformation. 
but you could be forgiven for thinking that we were about to go to war with France over some damned fish. It would seem that there's more outrage over France than there was over a Russian chemical attack in a British city. For an island nation, we do seem to have a lot of problems with water and our neighbours. And just before I move on, the, the, the last thing I was going to say about the water thing was that one of the big ironies of all of this contaminated water scandal was that on the day that MPs were voting to just uh, tip it on in the rivers, guys, the Department of the Environment and Rural Affairs was reminding the European Commission that they would be putting a block on imported bottled water from the EU until they applied for a licence and paid for the test to prove that the water was a sufficient quality. I mean, you couldn't make it up. <laughs> Talking of which, I couldn't help but be slightly amused by the Sky data map where they were trying to draw a, draw the draw the fishing boundaries of where this dispute is taking place. And uh, it's, it's quite interesting, really, because the, the Channel Islands, Jersey and Guernsey, they are very close to France. And the French, I, I imagine that the French do think of the waters around the Channel Islands as belonging to them. They, they clearly do not. <laughs> but what tickled me about this was that the, the boundary lines had been drawn by the uh, sky graph animator in thick brown wide delineations. <laughs> in fact, the only thing that was missing from the map was the turd emoji. <laughs> And this fishing dispute looks as if it's going to run and run. And the, the timing couldn't be worse for Johnson, really. And I, I suppose French President Macron knows that. So the news has been full of Johnson's levelling up budget presented by Rishi Sunak, who was at pains to stress that the economic hit from Covid was the worst in 300 years. Wait until he hears about the long-term economic damage from Brexit. According to the Office of Budget Responsibility, the financial impact will be at least double that of COVID. So that's all good then. At the same time, the news was uh, full of information about the green energy company, Bulb, which is about to hit the wall. It's a company which has over one and a half million subscribers. And this is on the eve of the COP26 climate summit and the main producer of or the main distributor of green energy is about to go bust. It's just not a very good look. Uh, and my son was looking at this and he said, uh, do you think they're going to go bust because France are threatening to cut the power off? Oh, I hope they don't do that. If I'm honest, one of the things that upsets me the most is the ongoing hypocrisy of this hollowed-out government. Johnson keeps telling us about the UK's green credentials, and yet on the eve of the COP26 climate summit, an event on the world stage hosted by the UK, which Russia and Australia are not even going to turn up to, this event will be taking place only a few days after the budget announcement of reduced taxes on internal flights. That's before we mention the new coal mine in Cumbria, a new oil field in the North Sea. What kind of green message does that send? 
I note that Greta Thunberg had not been invited either. Well, we all know what Johnson thinks about kids. But perhaps more surprisingly, Nicola Sturgeon had also been left off the list despite being the first minister for Scotland where the COP26 is taking place. One tweet suggested that it was because Greta would upstage him. To be fair, she does have quite a way with words. You can shove your climate crisis up your arse. You can shove your climate crisis up your arse. You can shove your climate crisis. You can shove your climate crisis. You can shove your climate crisis up your arse. Inside COP, they're just politicians and people in power pretending to take our future seriously. Other missing females included Her Majesty the Queen, who presumably would be singing a different kind of song. She is perhaps the greenest of all the royals. At the opening of the Welsh Parliament, had been overheard complaining about the lack of concrete action on climate. It is irritating when they talk, but they don't do. To my surprise, I find myself in agreement with Her Majesty. But I'm guessing that these rules are the ones that only apply to other people. Little people. It was the Guardian columnist Marina Hyde who wrote that the royals were busy saving the planet one helicopter ride at a time. This may be a bit unkind, because how else are they going to get about? Her Majesty is not likely to call an Uber or take the number 7 bus to Windsor, although I suppose she would be eligible for a bus pass. You can imagine the look on the conductor's face. Here, is that really you, Mom? Oh, for goodness sake, take a look at some money, why don't you? I don't carry any myself, but I think you'll find that it is one's face that is on the front of the notes and coins. I'm glad we settled that. If you're a royal, or even just a hanger-on, and want to apply for the HRH Save the Planet Bus Pass, you can do so on almorton.com forward slash takeout. Whilst you're there, be sure to download the lyrics and the guitar chords to Greta's Climate Song. Now available as a ringtone. Unfortunately, the Queen's lawyers have been accused of lobbying the Scottish Parliament in secret to exempt her private estates from a major carbon-cutting initiative. Still, at least we can thank Prince Andrew for reducing his carbon footprint by promising never to fly to the United States again. I could talk for a long time about the climate, but the other thing which I alluded to earlier on is the deteriorating relationship between France and the UK, spurred on by the magnificent right-wing press. We had the pre-summit press briefing by Boris Johnson in Rome from the Colosseum, very gladiatorial, telling us that uncontrolled immigration was the reason that Rome collapsed. I'm not quite sure where he got that from, as I recall most immigrants in Rome at the time were actually slaves, but maybe that's what he's harking back to. We should all go back to the wonderful colonial days. And all this relates to doing what I really do think that the Tory party do best, which is stirring the culture war, creating division 
I mean, really, that perhaps that is the saddest part about Brexit, really, is how divided it's made us all. And you can see this more clearly than ever on Twitter. Lots and lots of posts from people saying, well, I'm with the French and I'm ashamed to be British. And these kind of things, there are lots of them. And it is a symptom of the division. But I really get upset when I see people saying I'm ashamed to be British. Because really, you can't choose what country you're born into. I'm British. I'm not ashamed to be British. But I am embarrassed by the behaviour and acts of the, of the British government. So the problem is that when you criticise the government and then you go on to say, oh, I'm with France or I'm ashamed to be British, they actually feed off this division. They want you to say these things so that the right-wing elements can turn around to you and say, there you go, you see, you're a traitor. And we're not traitors. In fact, the opposite. If you love your country, you want what's best for your country. You don't want it to be ruled by a bunch of knuckle-dragging idiots. So I'll give you an example of how this is playing out, at least on Twitter. Carolyn Goose posted a picture of a chicken. It was one of these chicken in a roasting bag type things with added spices. The bag had a great big Union Jack on it and it said British chicken with added non-EU salt and pepper. <laughs> I'm okay with people wanting to buy British chicken. Why, why wouldn't they? It's got to be better than importing chlorinated chicken. It just seems that supermarkets, in this case Morrison's, are trying to cash in on anti-EU sentiment. They're putting Union Jacks on everything and turning hostility towards the EU into some kind of virtue. Even Walker's crisps are not immune because when listing the ingredients in a bag, they state clearly that the salt is British salt. I don't know what the state of British sea salt is these days, but having seen what's been washed up on the beaches of Minehead, I wouldn't be in any hurry to buy crisps that have been dunked in it. And this is something that I honestly don't understand. I mean, it just looks very strange from a perspective of living in Spain. Because when I go to the supermarket, uh, occasionally I see things that are, are, are British products. And not so much since Brexit. But... There's no warning or flags on the packet saying this may contain products from the United Kingdom. Who cares? This is not the BBC. Best before Covid Corporation. The British government has declared that the COP26 climate summit to be a massive success after all the delegates signed a declaration stating that they were going to continue to do absolutely nothing about global warming. They were also able to agree that they really didn't like Greta Thunberg and that she should be fined for playing truant from school. The summit will close with all delegates gathering for a photo call where they will be required to sing Strong Britain, Great Nation before being lined up and given a damn good flogging by Pretty Patel. Ouch! I am watching you, Johnson, with your big fat carbon footprint. Enter the 
You are listening to episode 12 of the Al Morton Takeout. In my last podcast, I may have made a few derisory comments about the cruise industry and also Bananarama, who are apparently fab. For those of you who may be unfamiliar with the great artistic works of this all-girl 1980s pop group, they were famous for their anodyne tunes, tragic fashion sense, and unison out-of-tune singing, allegedly. It would seem that many of you are fans of this. Oh well, I do what I can. But with this in mind, I did write to my great guitarist friend, Mike Britton, who had played on a number of the QE2 cruises, and he was kind enough to reply, I'm just going to read you a couple of short excerpts. Incidentally, I should point out that he did play on the final voyage of the QE2, but he wasn't instrumental in Cunard deciding to end its days. Hi, Al. I hope the world is floating through space a bit more evenly for you. Have all the tourists gone home to their own viruses yet? In your last, you were asking about my QE2 experience. Well, at the risk of boring you, here is what the reality was. Your question was about the conditions for staff musicians on the QE2. Well, they were employed under the euphemism able seamen, and as such were obliged to attend all lifeboat drills, dressed appropriately in life jackets or, as instructed, the amusement of passengers. There were about 30-something of them. They slept and ate below decks in shared cabins. They played for the big band accompanying visiting acts for captain's tea dances, evening ballroom dances, afternoon teas, cabaret and deck parties seven days a week. In port, they were allowed off for four hours on a 10% rotor, which meant that most of them were seldom allowed off the ship. Their movement was restricted to the middle decks during the downtime. Discipline was strictly controlled by fines of 10% of their weekly income. They had contracts of three to six weeks. If you think I exaggerate, there are honestly many impositions and fines like the dress deemed inappropriate, or making obvious errors during playing. They lived lives of luxury, however, compared to the majority of Filipino staff, about 2,000 of them, who were never allowed off for their full nine-month stint and were paid a pittance. Being a staff musician for Cunard, I think I would rather have played banjo on a Burma railway, he puts in brackets, the bridge on the River Kwai. In contrast, and for once in my life, and before I agreed to play on the QE2 jazz band for its last years, I researched conditions and typed back my terms before agreeing to the position. I formally stipulated my requirements to the New York office. To my great surprise, I therefore gained the following conditions set out in a snotty and formal reply. Mine was a visiting artiste contract, like the visiting cabaret. I had a cabin, three different restaurants in which to eat passenger food, free excursions in the port, unlimited public space access, free coffee shop and snacks, a bit of respect, <laughs> even from the Cunard deck officer bastards. 
a favourite moment was failing deliberately at an inception cocktail party to recognise one of the rotation captains, a diminutive five-foot small penis conceited runt called McNaught, famous for causing lawsuits against Cunard for failing to call at more than half of the ports of a world cruise. We want our money back, demanded rich idiot QE2 fans, because he was scared of a little swell and a breeze that wouldn't have put off three men in a boat. <laughs> okay, look, uh, at this point, I should just intervene and say that this is just one person's opinion, and uh, uh, please, please don't try and sue me, because you know, you know, I don't know who this this character was. He might have even had a large. I, I don't know, can you say penis? He might have had a large willy, who knows? His nickname was No Ports McNaught. There's even a berth in Liverpool docks named McNaught, if you want to go and look him up. I can't say I sought acquaintance with many of the staff musician guys, because once heard, I realised they were mostly indifferent players. Can you imagine those days when the best of London players played rubbish dance music for the peasants so that they could go to New York to hear the greats? Those players used to be called Geraldo's Navy. I hope all that was of some interest. Few of these travel jobs are as glamorous as the public think. Air hostesses are simply waitress toilet cleaners servants in the sky. And package tour couriers are often just punch bags for the irate customer complaints. <laughs> well, thank you very much for that, Mike. If you're an air hostess, please don't write to me and complain. Unfortunately, even if I wanted to join the QE2 band, my sight reading is not good enough, really. But I'm pretty certain they wouldn't have me. <laughs> Actually, that reminds me of a, a, a well-known musician saying, and that is, how do you get a guitarist to turn down? Put a piece of music in front of him. <laughs> Around this time, I like to try and lighten the mood. So I thought I would tell you a shaggy dog story. I hope it brings you a little cheer. Although at the time, the party involved didn't seem terribly amused. As the more astute amongst you will have observed, the theme of this podcast has been about pollution from, well, poo, basically. With this in mind, I thought I would share an observation I made this summer whilst out and about. Most days, I like to take a walk around the port of the fishing village where I live. The town is always busy with a mix of affluent individuals that like to take in the sea air as they strut along the Paseo Maritimo, occasionally stopping to take photographs of themselves with their latest fashion chic designer handbags and shoes. I should mention that Spanish people have a name for these type of people. They call them avestruthers or ostriches. But it literally translates as strutting bird. Some, mostly the very rich ones, have designer dogs to go with their designer outfits, perfume and jewellery. These pampered pets will have spent hours at the dog groomers whilst their mistress is being attended by hairdressers. I spotted one such creature strutting along with her chin up, pumped up lips and face plastered with enough foundation cream 
to render a small house. Sunglasses gave her the look of a malevolent insect. She tripped along on impossibly high heels whilst her dog, replete with diamante colour, pink lead set and bow, scuttled about a few steps behind. She was clutching what I also believed to be a large Gucci handbag. I imagined that it was Gucci because it had the big G logo boldly embossed on the outside and was fringed with shimmering gold tat. I mean, there's no point in having a designer handbag unless everyone can see. Suddenly, and from the depths of her handbag, a mobile phone could be heard ringing. She stopped to answer the call. She seemed oblivious to what was going on around her as she put the bag down to engage in an animated argument with the caller. Possibly a divorce attorney. <laughs> Meanwhile, her dog, along with its diamante collar and pink bow in its hair, trotted over to the bag then sprayed a long, thick stream of custard-coloured liquid poop all over the bag. <laughs> I remember the colour because it was clear from the lady's apparel that colour coordination was important to her. I became transfixed by the scene playing out before me. The lady continued to chat for a while, unaware of the fashion crisis that was taking place next to the world's most expensive stilettos. She finished the call and then bent down to place the phone back in her bag and then let out a blood-curdling scream. The dog seemed quite pleased with itself and scampered about all happily as she glanced around to see if anyone had noticed. I turned away quickly, pretending I hadn't seen it, but wondered whether or not it would be a Gucci handbag or a furry former pet that was going to end up in a nearby dumpster that night. Which reminds me that there is a Spanish tradition that says it is unlucky to put your handbag down on the ground because the thinking is that if you do, the money will run away. But <laughs> this story does seem to bear that out a little. It's almost time for me to go and I wanted to thank you all for listening. I hope you weren't put off by my dog story or unwillingness to embrace the many imaginary benefits of Brexit. On the last podcast, I played this out by listing them, but this time I'm not going to talk about corruption. Oh no, certainly not. Perish the thought. Meanwhile, back at the COP26 Climate Summit, British Prime Minister Johnson addresses the delegates. Because since we're in an international context and, uh, and, and speaking before uh, international colleagues, I want, to, I want to say one thing which I hope is not uh, taken in any uh, chauvinistic spirit, uh, but I genuinely believe that uh, the UK is not remotely a uh, corrupt uh, country, nor do I believe that our institutions are, are corrupt. <laughs> So that's it for me for now. I'm going to be adding a series of mini-episodes over the next few weeks, so you don't have to wait so long to hear from me. But until then, bye for now. As always, you can read further details 
including a full transcript and credits on almorton.com forward slash takeout. This podcast was written, performed and produced by Almorton.